Welcome to In Conversation, a series of captivating and insightful dialogues with leading writers, artists, and spiritual teachers. In Conversation is a production of Banyan Books and Sound. An oasis in Vancouver since 1970, Banyan is a gathering place of the world's wisdom and healing traditions. Come by for a visit or find us at banyan.com for live events, books, and more. This is Farah Nasrali, and today I'm in conversation with Bruce Lipton. He is an internationally recognized leader and author in the field of science and spirituality, and has written a number of fascinating books, including The Biology of Belief, Spontaneous Evolution, and The Honeymoon Effect. And we're here specifically to talk about consciousness, matter, and tapping into an unlimited source of potential within the human body. So welcome, Bruce. Well, I'm glad to be here because obviously the topic is uh, very timely. It's important as uh, we see the world going through drastic changes. This is actually uh, not a coincidence that the globe is in a state of upheaval because there's an evolutionary uh, step that we are in process of making, which uh, determines whether we as a species survive or not, and, and we're at that decision-making point right now. What is the invitation to how we need to respond to the world and the situation that we're in? Well, uh, the first thing is this. Uh, five times in the history of this planet, life was thriving, and then some cataclysmic event occurs, and uh, then life from 70 to 90% of life gets wiped out. And then it sort of rebuilds again, reaches that point, some cataclysmic event, and then it gets wiped out and starts over again. Well, five times in history this happened. <clears throat> Excuse me. The last one is when the dinosaurs were here, and then they weren't. Uh, there was a cataclysmic upheaval of the environment, and that was presumably due to a, a giant comet that hit the Earth and it just sort of undid the ecosystem, uh, <clears throat> and wiping out the dinosaurs and, and uh, 70, actually near 90% of life. So five times in history this has happened. Today, um, just to give you a little fact on this then, um, they took a survey of how many animals were on this planet in, in 1970, and they just did it again last year, uh, and 62% of the entire animal population has disappeared since 1970. Basically, say, oh my God, <laughs> two thirds of the animals on the planet have, are gone in that in that time period. And that the estimate now, uh, which I believe is conservative, uh, is that in 2048 there'll be no fish in the ocean, and uh, uh, that's because of our polluting the water, overfishing, destroying breeding grounds, etc. Uh, all of it comes down to a very interesting fact. Well, the five previous uh, mass extinctions uh, were related to things like um, that comet or massive tectonic plate activity. Um, this particular state we're in right now is we are in the sixth mass extinction. We have already lost over 70% uh, of life on this planet since uh, um, uh, humans have been here. And what's the point about it is that uh, the source of the problem is human behavior. 
the way that we treat the planet, the way that we treat each other, the way of not living in harmony within ourselves, within our community, and within our world, that lack of harmony uh, is being expressed in a breakdown of the ecosystem. And between all the pollution and all the other stuff that we're contributing and just essentially raping the planet of its uh, minerals and resources, uh, uh, humans are driving this extinction process. Now, the extinction process is not like, oh, geez, in a thousand years there might be a problem. No, within decades <laughs> there's going to be a problem. We are hitting that issue right now. That's why there's so much turmoil, because we're so out of harmony uh, with ourselves, which is also a reflection of being out of harmony with the planet, that uh, we either are going to make a, a jump here uh, by understanding who we are, and how we are really part of this nature and should be participating as a part of nature. Uh, if we understand that, there's an opportunity to at least hold on to, to what's going on here. If we don't get there, if we don't get there, the mass extinction is a, is a rapid uh, acceleration process. So, uh, you know, within a few decades, uh, actually, uh, NASA, uh, in a research uh, on, on this issue, said, uh, within a, a few decades, uh, there'll be a total collapse of industrial civilization. That's a fact. Uh, and this has been mentioned in the news, but it sort of doesn't get covered by anything. We're, all, we're dealing with you know, Trump and, and, and all these problems, uh, economics, and all this stuff, and nobody's paying attention to the little column that says, we're in the sixth mass extinction at this time. And, and basically, the only way out is to change human behavior. And, and, and the, the significance is we have been living under a culture that uh, uh, is out of harmony with, with the world and the universe. And that disharmony is reflected now in a disharmony of our, our experience on this planet. So there are two main things that I see that are necessary for us to help make this evolutionary jump right now. Uh, and number one is the recognition that we are each powerful creators of the world in which we live, which is totally uh, 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 our conventional belief system is everyone says, oh, I'm a victim. I'm a victim of my genes. I'm a victim of the environment or the forces outside of me. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. Well, when people claim they're victims, what they're saying is I have no power. And uh, unfortunately, we have been programmed to be disempowered by those that know how to make power, <laughs> and, and systematically so. Uh, and it's not, um, it's not an unknown uh, um, behavioral mechanism in controlling us, because the Jesuits have, have openly stated for 400 years, give me a child until it is seven, and I will show you the man. That, that's their famous biblical quote. And I say, for well, 400 years, people have been going, yeah, yeah, that's uh, what the Jesuits said. I said, but you didn't understand what they were saying. Whatever programming you get in the first seven years determines the outcome of your life. If you got disempowering programs in the first seven years, then by definition, your life has been disempowered. And, and we have all been disempowered because we have been led to believe that we're victims, uh, first in our health, in our behavior. So the first thing is that the first thing in making the evolutionary leap is understanding that we are creators 
and we can create a different kind of world. Absolutely, because when you believe you're a victim, you say all these things are happening to us, and I'm saying, no, no, when you understand what's, what's going on, is that we are creating this first because of a lack of knowledge. You know, famous phrase, knowledge is power. Yes, that's a fact. But I want to say it, in, let me just say it in a different way, though, because it's relevant to the moment. Knowledge is power, everyone says that. Yeah, but here's the more important fact. A lack of knowledge is a lack of power. We have been deprived of knowledge of who we really are. We're not genetic automatons, we're creators. But our programming has disempowered us, and as a result, uh, the world is unfolding. We are creating it, but we're doing it without awareness of our own programs that are manifesting this. So uh, this is the wake-up call. If we wake up and recognize we're creators, we may make something different. So how important is ethics and virtues to this empowerment. I mean, you know, wisdom traditions have been training human beings since they've existed in ethics and morality and uh, positive virtues that are life-affirming and that connect human beings with one another. How important is that in stepping into our powers, creators? Well, this is a really important point that you're making, and the important point is this, is that uh, what, what determines our behavior? What determines our ethics, our culture? What, what determines that? And the answer is programming. Uh, uh, the first seven years of a child's life, as the Jesuits said, uh, the brain of a child is not functioning at the level of consciousness. Uh, that begins at around age seven. Self-consciousness begins at around age seven. The first seven years... Uh, a child's brain is operating at a lower vibrational frequency than conventional consciousness. It's operating what is called theta. Theta characteristic is um, uh, mixing the imaginary world and the real world. And then when you say, oh, yeah, uh, you know, children have a tea party with no tea and a mud pie, or they ride a broom and it's a horse, I go, yeah, because in, when the child's riding that broom, it's not a broom to that child. Theta makes that imagination turn into the horse that the child's imagining. So, uh, theta is the state of imagination, but theta is also hypnosis. Uh, and the reason why this is critical to human development is um, if you want to be a functional member of a family and a functional member of a community, I say, well, what are the rules? <laughs> and all of a sudden I say, well, it's like an encyclopedia, <laughs> all the thousands of rules of how to behave uh, in each situation, uh, you know, just to give an example, how, how uh, a father talks to his own child is not how a father talks to the neighbor's child. It's not how the father talks to the neighbor adult. It's not how the father talks to the wife. It's not how the father talks to the policeman. It's like, oh, my God, they're each circumstance. And I say, well, a child needs to jump into this program. I say, how, how can a child do that? It, it can't read. It, you, can't, you can't have education classes for infants. I go, oh, Nature's taking care of that, in that the first seven years the brain operating in theta, imagination phase for the child, is also hypnosis, meaning whatever the child sees or hears is downloaded as if uh, their head was a video recorder. They're just recording everything that's going on subconscious. And why is that relevant? Because that's programs of how to behave. I see how my parent behaves in this situation. I see how my parent behaves in that situation. That's a download. So I say, oh, my goodness. We get off the ground 
by being pre-programmed. Uh, just to give an analogy so people get what I'm talking about, uh, I go to the Apple store, I buy a brand new iPod, and the front of the iPod, like on, on the phone, is called the touch screen, where you can touch and uh, engage programs and change on the iPod. You can select the music and change the volume and adjust the EQ and all these things for the front screen. So that's creative. The front screen is I can create a playlist. I go, great. I say, so I get a brand new iPod, take it out of the box, I touch the touch screen, and nothing happens. It's like nothing plays, nothing happens. Like, why not? And, and then, of course, some seven year old kid you know, shows me and says, listen, you didn't download any music. If you don't download any music, you can't play any program. And I go, oh, so I have to put something in the hard drive before I can use the creative part. I go, yeah. And it's like exactly with a child. The child needs the programs, and at age seven gets to use the touch screen, gets to be creative with the program at that point. But the fact is then the first seven years of programming are downloaded without consciousness even of that child involved. Consciousness of the child's not operating. So whatever is coming in is downloaded just like a recorder. What's the point? There's no filter. There's no understandings to sell a lot of things of parents yelling at a child. The child hears the yelling, records the yelling, and may not understand what the whole meaning of the yelling was all about. <laughs> you know? Is it that the state of the world really is a reflection of our level of subconscious programming as a human species? 100%. And the call to action is that we can change our programming and create a different kind of world, which which is based in peace and harmony and an abundance in terms of the earth and its ability to um, be in a relationship of mutual reciprocity. Uh, all of that, all of that. And the reason is simply this. Culture is passed down like genes. It runs in a family. And whatever the parent, whatever parents' behavior you had as parents, in your first seven years, that's, you've been downloaded with that behavior. But where'd they get it? Oh, they got it from their parents, who they downloaded for seven years. And, and, and so what I say, well, how far back? I goes, well, it goes back generations. Uh, and the relevance, I say, why is it relevant? Is because much of our lives we've confused with genetics when it turns out not to even be genetics. It just has to be family programming, such, for example, as cancer. Cancer is primarily caused by programming, not by genes. And a demonstration of that is a child gets adopted into a family where there's a cancer running in that family, and the adopted child will get the same family cancer with the same probability as any of the natural siblings. But the issue is the adopted child has totally different genetics. It didn't. It wasn't the cancer didn't come from the genetics. It came from behavior. And then you can look at behavior, and I say, well, uh, there, there's behavior that's very beneficial. There's behavior that uh, is actually uh, undermining you. Uh, and there are behaviors that, uh, that may not have either or an effect. So let's talk about behaviors that are beneficial. And I imagine this is some of what you talk about in your book, The Honeymoon Effect. What are the kinds of things that we can identify that will help us step into that role as creators and create a world that's that's worth living in and that we want to live in? Well, the, the first thing we have to do is say, 
what the heck is the program? <laughs> you know, I was programmed for seven years. Uh, if I ask you, Farah, I say, well, tell me your program when you were one year old. And you go, what? I go, okay, tell me your programming when you were zero. You were being programmed actually before the, in the last trimester of pregnancy. Uh, for example, uh, if a parent, uh, they play music uh, 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 to the abdominal wall as the fetus is developing, uh, and they play that music over again and over again, when the child is born, if they, the moment that music starts, the child will have a, a memory of that. Or if the father talks uh, uh, to, the, to the developing child through, through the mother's uh, abdomen uh, uh, and talks to the child, when the child's born and the father starts talking, the infant will know exactly which one was the father. So learning started before uh, you were born and for first seven years. And then I say, well, yeah, but these are your programs. And then I say, yeah, but what are your programs? And then the truth is you cannot consciously tell me what the programs are because you weren't conscious when they were being put in. So now comes the most important point. It's like, well, geez, if I've been programmed, how will I know what the programs are? And then here comes the, this is the, this is the, the reason why the Jesuit quote is real, is because we now recognize that uh, our nervous system, our behavior, uh, it, there are two minds, subconscious and conscious. And that the conscious mind is the one that gets engaged around age seven, but the subconscious was working, you know, downloading programs while you were still in utero. And I go, well, the relevance then is then the subconscious got all the programs in it, and the conscious is creative. And I go, well, great. That means I can create my life with my wishes and desires. I go, yes, you can. Problem. How much of our life is run by the conscious creative mind versus how much of our life is run by the subconscious program? Subconscious is really important. It's not a, a, a bad you know, place like hell is in the subconscious. No, programs might be hell, but the subconscious is great. I mean, think about it this way. You learned how to walk. That was a very difficult process as an infant. You learned how to walk, but before two, I go, do you even think about walking? No, it's an automatic program. You've had it since two. And I go, well, thank goodness, that's why you have a subconscious, uh, you know, to do all that. Or driving the car, it's not like the first day you got in the car, it's like overwhelmed by everything you had to pay attention to. Now, after you've driven the car for a long time, you get in, put the key in, you don't even think about the, the, the details because uh, it's all automatic, subconscious, that's great. So the key is to really access the subconscious and understand what are the beliefs that are held within the subconscious what are the programs that are that were set very early in life okay this is the great part because now comes like uh, you know like oh what do i have to do a lot of psychoanalysis like oh no here's the part we have now recognized in the scientific community that the subconscious is running the show 95 percent of the time only five percent of an average person's life is actually being run by the conscious mind, I go, well, this is really relevant because the conscious mind is the mind that has wishes and desires and all the wonderful things. Conscious mind is who you want to be and, and the life you want. I go, great. And I say, it, the conscious mind works only 5% of the time uh, in controlling your life. Uh, I'll give you a simple reason. Uh, it basically says this. Um, we spend 95% of our time thinking. Well, thinking directs the conscious mind to go inside. Uh, kind of, instead of paying attention to what's going on around the world, a thought is inside your head. 
you know, I say, what are you doing on uh, next Monday at 8 o'clock? Uh, you, you, you can think about it, but the answer is inside. You have to go inside. So when you are thinking, the conscious mind lets go of what's going on in the world outside, goes inside to resolve a thought. But that means then the, if you're walking down the street and you're thinking, the conscious mind lets go, then who, who's going to control the walking? <laughs> and I say, no, the subconscious mind knows all those patterns. It knows how to walk, how to talk, how to do your job. Anything you've repeated that becomes a habit, subconscious mind can do without you. So subconscious mind is autopilot, point. During the day, 5%, you are going to be moving toward your wishes and desires with conscious, creative mind in control. But 95% of the day, that conscious mind is going to be involved with thought, which means in 95% of the day, your life is controlled by the programs. And I go, and I say, well, here's where the problem is. What if you have bad programs? I go, it doesn't, you won't see the program. And the reason why is, well, consciousness is what's observing. And if consciousness is thinking, then by definition, it's not observing. And if it's not observing, then you can't see the behavior that you're playing 95% of the day. And, and I go, why is all this relevant? Because then I say, your life is not coming from your wishes and desires. 95% of your life is coming from the program. And I go, yeah, but what if the program is self-defeating? I go, you won't see it. And here's a, a story I've given 30 years in my lecture, and I give it, I'll give it tomorrow. Same story, because if you get it, that's the most profound point. And it's this, probably uh, somewhere in your life you grew up with somebody, you had a friend, you knew your friend's behavior very, very well, and you happen to know your friend's parent. And one day you see your friend has the exact same behavior as their parent, and of course you really want to tell your friend, you go, oh my gosh, Bill, you're just like your dad. And then you back away from Bill because the first person to, to get all upset that they've been compared to their dad is Bill. He goes, how can you compare me to my dad? I'm nothing like my dad. And most everybody laughs because they have an understanding or that experience. I go, that, that's the profound story. That's the profound story. Everyone else can see that Bill behaves like his dad. It's only Bill who doesn't see that. I go, oh, that's easy to explain. <laughs> Bill's running his life with his conscious mind, but the moment he starts thinking, uh, autopilot, subconscious kicks in, plays the program. Yeah, but where'd the program come from? He downloaded it by observing his dad. So when the conscious mind is in thought and not paying attention, the behavior that's being expressed is not being observed. And if that behavior is a negative behavior, well, you'll be sabotaging yourself, and you're the only one who will not see it. And like Bill, you'll say, what are you talking about? I'm, I don't, I'm not like my dad. So this quality of observation and awareness of our behaviors is part of the unraveling of subconscious programming. It's, it's the whole part of unraveling it here. So here's the point. So here's the summary. I, I went off on that far, but let me give you the summary of that. And it basically says this. 95% of your life is coming from subconscious programs. Consequently, your life is essentially a printout of your subconscious. Whatever's going on in your life, you're creating that. So why is it a problem? I go, well, let's say you're, you're struggling uh, with relationship. I go, oh, uh, it's because the universe doesn't want to give you a relationship? I go, no. Your programming is sabotaging relationship, and you can't see it, 
And all you get is the conscious awareness of, geez, it didn't work. Oh, it was too bad. It fell apart. And it's like you didn't see that you were engaged in that whole process as well. Uh, and so here's the conclusion. What are your subconscious programs? Answer simple. Look at your life right now. Everything you like that comes into your life comes in because the subconscious has a program that acknowledges that. But, and here's the one, anything in your life that you struggle over, work hard for, sweat over to make happen, you put a lot of effort in, you're working to get X or Y, you're working hard. And I go, why are you working so hard? And the answer is simple. That destination is not supported by your program. Whether it's a relationship, whether it's health, whether it's making money, <laughs> uh, just look at your life. Where you're struggling, we have always a vision of I'm struggling because the outside world is not supporting me. And I go, oh, that's the whole silly part. You're struggling because your own invisible subconscious program is not letting you get there because it's not in the program. So the first thing is uh, you can say, well, what is my program? I say, well, look at your life. Whatever you're, you, have, you, you have trouble obtaining, struggling for, working hard for, sweating over, uh, you're working hard because basically it means that you don't have a program to support that conclusion. And all of a sudden you can go, oh, my God, I can look at my life and say which beliefs or programs uh, are affecting me in a negative way. And I go, well, now that you know what those are, how about changing the program? I go, yeah, you can change those programs. And then the benefit is, first, if you know what you want to change, then <laughs> changing the program is easy. The hardest part is, well, what do I want to change? I say, well, look at your life. Uh, and then all of a sudden it gets a lot easier. What, what do I want to change? Where am I struggling? I don't want to struggle. Oh, well, then you want to change the, the program. You, your program is not supporting you. So... How is this, you know, I can see how in a lot of ways people um, may sabotage their their desire for success, whatever success looks like to them, whether it's material or in relationships or or whatever that looks like. But how is that connected to our relationship of harmony with the natural world? Because... I'm gonna I'm gonna give a fact, and and it's an interesting. It's it's such a a, a major fact, and and it's not even arguable. <laughs> it's a fact, and it's based on quantum physics. And you go quantum physics. Oh my God, that's a weird stuff. I go no wait. Quantum physics is the the physics of the universe, and physics means mecha mechanics mechanisms. So you say quantum mechanics quantum physics, Newtonian mechanics, Newtonian physics, mechanisms. Physics are mechanisms. Physics are the mechanisms of how the universe works, period. And I go, why is it relevant? Number one, quantum physics is the most valid science on planet Earth today. There is no science that has more truth to it than quantum physics at this moment. There's not one science more valid. I go, why is it relevant? And here's why. The first premise in quantum physics is that consciousness is creating our life experience that's it that's a that's a foundational belief of quantum physics this is an expression of consciousness and i go wow okay why is it relevant and the answer is because it's the truth of our universe our consciousness is manifesting our life experiences 
our collective experiences are, are the result of collective consciousness. And I go, well, then that's why we start to, we all get uniform at some point. This is green. This is sweet. These are, you know, people, once we uniform, we get all, and that's what happens in your first seven years, you get programmed to take part in the system as it's been created by all the, the collective group. Although most of the people that are creating it are ignorant of the fact that they're creating it. They've just been programmed to create it. So why is it relevant? truth of physics is consciousness is creating this. You want to change your life? You change your consciousness. You don't go out and change the physical world. Change the consciousness, and the physical world changes along with your consciousness. And so it's so important because a lot of people want to pick up arms and go out and deal with the world. And I say, no, you're creating the world from your consciousness, so before you go out, you can stay home and fix your consciousness first, and then the world will change for us. Mm-hmm. And hence the teachings, the long-time wisdom of spiritual traditions that emphasize a cultivating a certain consciousness or state of being, and then moving or acting in the world from that place rather than the acting without paying any attention to our inner states or inner mind. This is ancient wisdom. Ancient wisdom is fully supported by modern quantum physics. Ancient wisdom, uh, well, let me give a term. Uh, In quantum physics, um, in Newtonian physics first, that's the one almost everybody's been programmed, and that's a belief that the universe has two major elements or realms of physical, mechanical things or the invisible energy thing. So in Newtonian physics, there's an invisible energy realm and a physical mechanical realm. And we, we put ourselves as physical bodies in the physical mechanical realm and separate ourselves from the energy. And that's what Newtonian physics has separated the, the universe into two different realms, and we are part of the material realm. I go, okay, and, and I say, why is this relevant? Because quantum physics comes in and says that was an illusion. The idea that matter and energy are two separate things is a total illusion, that everything is one thing, energy. Everything is energy. And I say, why is it relevant? Because when you make duality, you can separate energy from matter and then say they don't influence each other. And I say, yeah, but in quantum physics, energy is everything. Everything that looks physical is only the illusion uh, I like it. There's a quote from Einstein who said uh, um, that the, the universe is uh, the, the, the illusion uh, is merely illusion. The physical universe is merely illusion, albeit a uh, persistent one. <laughs> That's what Einstein said. Uh, and basically, uh, so the fact is, why is it relevant? Because energy is connected. Well, physical things, you can say, oh, I can separate A from B and talk about A over here and then move over here and talk about B. In a Newtonian world, that, that's two separate things. But in a quantum world, that's an illusion of separation. Energy is always connected. They're waves. <laughs> They're in the field. Uh, ah, the word field, and here's what I'm getting at. The word field in physics is about the power of this invisible energy realm that wherever you are right now, there's a physical realm, and you're physically there. But I say, yeah, but there's also at the same time this invisible realm. You're immersed in telephone broadcasts, cell phone broadcasts, television, radio broadcasts, even solar energy. There's a field. So the word field is implying about the invisible energy. Now, finally, getting to the important point, 
The word feel means uh, uh, that the uh, invisible forces are the sole governing agency of the material world. The invisible forces called the field are governing the, uh, the experiences on this planet. And I go, well, that's interesting because the definition of spirit is exactly the same. The invisible forces that have this, this, this influence in our physical field. And I go, quantum physics today has brought back the ancient knowledge that an invisible energy field is influencing our experience here. And quantum physics saying, yes, it is, and it is the more powerful controlling element. It's the invisible field that's shaping the physical world. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my God, quantum physics has, has, is the modern version of spirituality. And quantum physics is the most valid science of all. Therefore, we go back and recognize, while we see ourselves as these physical entities, the truth is we are energies, and we are spirit. We're in part of the invisible field, and we're playing through a, a body like a, like a television program. Like the body is the television, we're the program on this thing, it's all spiritual. And, and we change it by changing our consciousness, and that's what quantum physics says. And I say, well, why is it relevant? Because if you're struggling in the world, and we keep looking outside and saying the struggle is coming from outside, that's where we have to change the game. The struggle is we're creating it in our own belief system, not that we, that's our wishes and desires conscious mind. No, we're creating it from the program that has been passed from generation to generation. And to get out of this program, which is in self-destruct at this moment, we need to reprogram. And that's the upheaval that the planet is experiencing when the structures of economy, religion, government, uh, everything is being shaken to the core. Uh, it's because it's time to rebuild it in harmony with the planet because our cultural development we have is causing the problems with the planet and if we want to survive we have to reprogram the, those those beliefs that have taken us down this road and that's the only way out of this situation so the only way out is to really go in and un unroot those those programs that are causing us to see a world where there's so much destruction so much conflict. Exactly. And, and so, because the idea is this, am I a victim or am I a creator? They're not the same. They're mutually exclusive. Either a victim or you're a creator. And the fact is, we bought the role of victim and in the process have lost the nature of being the creator. As soon as you believe you're the victim, it's like, oh, I can't do it. I, I'm the victim. I have no power. It's like, if you believe that, then your whole operation from that point on is based on the fact that I don't have power. And people have been disempowered as a, as a mass for generations, generations of, who do you think you are? <laughs> it's like, I'm a creator. And you say that, then you get slapped down uh, uh, until you learn, no, I'm just a victim of this world. It's like, no, you are creating. And if you don't like the way your life is working, Instead of saying, I'm a victim of these circumstances, we must go back and look and say, no, you're a victim of programs. And if you change those programs, then you have empowerment. And if you don't change it, you are the program. Well, it's certainly very empowering and radical to think that the entire world is 
you know, really a projection of what our, what invisible forces are, are in terms of subconscious and in terms of cultural norms and patterns, patterns that have been passed on through generations. This is, this is a whole issue that happened when quantum physics came into our consciousness around 1925 with uh, Planck and Einstein and all, all these other people that people name, know the names of. Um, 1925. I say, why was it relevant? Because in 1924, that was, <laughs> the universe had this, this is how the universe worked. And in 1925, it's like, no, it isn't. This is how the universe worked. <laughs> and it was like, a, it, was, it is a revolution. It, it took us from, from an abacus to space flight. That the quantum revolution did this. You know, I mean, the whole world in this quantum revolution. But it, it, it didn't just happen overnight because there was a lot of resistance to people who had been programmed of a Newtonian universe and were not ready to change their belief and get into the quantum understanding. Uh, and it took a while. And, and look, it was 1925 when this came into physics. It's only now that the nature of this field, spirit, consciousness, uh, and the nature of it and the power of it is coming in back into our consciousness now. Uh, and this is what the evolution is all about. We must take our power back because we have unconsciously, unknowingly, it's not our fault, we were programmed by people who didn't know any better anyway. Uh, and so we are perpetuating belief systems. And these these perpetuate the belief systems we're operating by are self-destructive, like Darwinian theory, <laughs> the belief that the, we got here through competition and violence and all that kind of stuff like that. It's like a garden, which is the epitome of evolution, is not a battleground. The whole concept of a Darwinian, you know, uh, fighting and surviving and struggling and, uh, as a way of life—that's an illusion. And yet, because of, because we bought into that belief then we operate a culture based on that belief. Uh, and then you look and you say, yeah, Darwin was right. Look at this violent culture and all that. And I go, no, no, We're, we took the belief and created from that belief. It's time to change, just like it's time to change from Newtonian to quantum. In biology, that changes. I am not a victim of my genetics. I am a creator of my genetics and my experience. That's, a, that's the revolution. Well, it's the exact revolution from Newtonian to quantum is from genetics to the new science, epigenetics. Epigenetics is the science of how your consciousness uh, is adjusting your genetics and your behavior. That's remarkable. It's just extraordinary to, to hear that just through our beliefs and emotions and our states of consciousness, we can actually change our biology. Well, people have been doing that all the time. It's called placebo. Yes, <laughs> See? Yes, so, uh, yes. Placebo is, I believe that this pill, surgery, whatever the heck it is, I believe that this process is going to manifest what I want. And that belief, they take the pill, they do the surgery, they get better, and they find that the pill was a sugar pill or the surgery was just a fake or a sham surgery. And, and you have to say, well, how did everybody get better? which is anywhere from one-third minimum to two-thirds of all medical healing, is not from the medical doctor. From one-third to two-thirds of all healing is ascribed to the placebo effect where the patient feels the process is going to create health, and then they get healthy. 
And I go, yeah, sugar pills. That didn't make you healthy. What made you healthy? The belief in the sugar pill to have that outcome. And I said, well, you created health. You, the pill didn't create health. You created health. I go, yeah, and if you understand that, every aspect of your life can be the equivalent of a placebo effect if you change your belief. Instead of living in the fear, living in the love, all of a sudden life changes 100%. Well, that is the perfect note, I think, to bring our dialogue to. The power of living from the heart and living in love as opposed to living in worry or anxiety or fear or any other state that is a, anything other than love. Well, I, I think that, the, you know, why your community and your programming is so important to me is because as every one of us starts to recognize, wait a minute, uh, if I'm not a victim, I can change my beliefs. And I say, yes, you can. And if I can change my beliefs, and I, why don't I have belief of a picture of heaven and love and happiness rather than a Darwinian world of, you know, uh, uh, survival of, uh, you know, the fittest and a struggle for life. That's our, what we bought. But that, a garden that was here when we got here did, was a cooperation. A garden is cooperation, not competition. <laughs> and I say, where's the garden? It's like, it doesn't exist. I go, why not? Because the competition that we're running in is the antithesis of garden. It doesn't work that way. This could be a garden tomorrow if we just all woke up in love. Go, wow. <laughs> it's a garden. It's, it's heaven on earth. To me, that, that is, to me personally, uh, what I think the biggest cosmic joke in the entire universe, because I was caught up in the joke and not aware of it, because uh, what's the joke? Uh, and the joke is that um, we, we look at ourselves as the victims here in a world, and we also look at ourselves that if we live, you know, as best we possibly can, in spite of all this stuff, live the best you can in the face of all this stuff, when you die, you can go to heaven. I go, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, it's like, so everybody's struggling through this world, waiting that there's another world where it's going to be like heaven. And I go, oh, my God, what, what, a, what a joke. Because as a non-spiritual person, which I was when I started this research, and then started to recognize that each one of us, uh, uh, the cells in our body, have a, a set of antennas, like television antennas, tuned to a, a station. And each one of us has a different station you know, assigned to our biology, uh, which makes two people different from each other. That's why you can't exchange organs with one another because one immune system will say, oh, that foreign organ is foreign, and will destroy it. And so it knows self from foreign. I go, so there's no two selves that are the same, not biologically that we have right now. No two people have the same self. I said, what's the self? I said, well, the one thing we see is there's a set of antennas on the surface of the cell that are different for each human. Each of us has our own equivalent like of a combination lock of antennas that are receiving an environmental signal. And I started to go, wait a minute, these are called self-receptors. <laughs> what a wonderful name, self-receptors. And I go, uh, well, a conventional Newtonian world looks at the physical body and the physical machine and the physical receptors. The quantum world says, but those antennas, those receptors, are tuned to some information in the field. And each of us has a unique station. And I go, oh, my God, 
we have an identity in the energy field like a broadcast. So look at the body as a television set and that each of us is tuned to a different station because each of us has a unique set of these antennas reading an environmental signal. I go, wait a minute. Then my identity is not per se in the cell. My identity is a signal being picked up by the cell. I go, yeah. And I go, oh, my God. Then the relevance of that is you can't die because your signal is always here. Your body, the television, can die. But if another embryo shows up with the same antennas that you have right now, then that embryo will be you, whether it's male or female, not relevant, whether it's black, white, red, yellow. That's just a television set. And all of a sudden I said, oh, jeez, I can't die. I'm not even in here. <laughs> I mean, here's a non-spiritual person all of a sudden recognizing I'm a broadcast. And then, and then it hit me, you know, it's like, oh, my God, there's a body and a spirit. The spirit is the broadcast. The body is equivalent to the television set. And I say, yeah, but if the television breaks, we say the television's dead. And I go, yeah, but is the broadcast still there? And you go, well, how would you know if the broadcast is there? And I say, well, get another TV, plug it in, turn it on, and then tune it to that station. And boom, the show is back on the air. And I went, oh, my God, mm -hmm. I am the broadcast. And I'm playing through the body, which is the television set. That was phase one that basically says, if the body dies, I'm still there. I'm the broadcast, but I can't operate through a body, so it's an invisible energy field. Like right now, you're immersed in a television broadcast, but you can't see it. <laughs> it's not without the TV. So that took me from uh, non-spiritual to spiritual. But then the next part was I asked myself a very you know personal question, being shocked at that moment of reality that, oh, my God, I, I'm a broadcast. Uh, and, and then I asked myself, well, why be a spirit and a body? Why not just be the spirit? And, and 50 trillion cells that make up my body, the answer welled up and came right into my head. Uh, and the answer, I said, why have a spirit and a body? And the cells responded, and I, they're kind of funny cells, I think about it. My cells responded by saying, Bruce, if you're just a spirit, what does chocolate taste like? And all of a sudden, I said, oh, my God, the body is a device with all these receptors, eyes, ears, nose, taste, touch, pain, uh, emotions, love, fear, receiving and, and responding. I go, wow. Then the significance is my consciousness can have an imagination of what love is about, but my body provides a physical manifestation that it translates into the brain and the brain broadcasts back to the source. So a sense of love becomes a, from the biology, is translated into an energy. That's what the nervous system does. It takes in sound and smells and tastes and touch and all these things, but the brain converts it into a vibrational broadcast. Uh, and, it, and so all of a sudden I say, oh, so a spirit can come to the planet and smell the flowers and see the sunsets and understand what love is all about. I go, wow, that's pretty great. And then I also realize, but wait, but the spirit can move the body around and be creative with it. And I go, oh, my God, how about this? This is like maybe the most fabulous cosmic joke in the entire world is that we don't die and go to heaven. We're born into heaven. In other words, 
we come into this manifestation to do what? To create and to experience. Uh, 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 and all of a sudden it's like uh, it's a virtual reality suit. And that, well, what are we experiencing? I look around, I go, well, it depends on your consciousness. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. You, you know, you could have heaven on earth in one consciousness and you could be in the middle of a war in another consciousness. I go, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I realized the joke. And also the responsibility to to uh, be an example so that other people can see what's possible. Those that are caught up in in a consciousness that's creating suffering can find a way out. Exactly. And yeah. so the reality is, the exciting part, this is what I wrote the book, The Honeymoon Effect. Uh, and I, I wrote it because... Um, you don't have to be in a honeymoon with another person, but so many people, that's a direct experience, so I thought that's why I'd, I'd try to get the mass with this pop, you know, with this book called The Honeymoon Effect. And I say, your life could suck every day, and then you meet this person, and 24 hours later, life is heaven on earth. My God, you're so in love, you can't believe it. The food's better, the music's better, the love is great, uh, life is fabulous, even the job you hated is not so bad all of a sudden. I go, wow, what happened? In 24 hours, you went from from hell, and 24 hours later, you're experiencing heaven on earth. And, and, and now we have an understanding. And the understanding is this, that uh, in the biology of it, they looked at when, when people are in love, like, you know, full-out kind of honeymoon love, they, they stop playing the program. They stay in the conscious mind. They become what is called mindful. And if they become mindful and they stop playing the programs and they're operating with a conscious mind, uh, up to 90% of their life is coming from conscious. Yeah, but that's wishes and desires. And I go, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Once they started operating from wishes and desires, life was not the hell it was the day before. Now life is this heaven on earth. And I say, what was the whole difference? You stop playing the program. And the moment you stop playing the program, your creative character of your conscious wishes and desires were made manifest. And then you found yourself heaven on earth. And I go, that was the intention to come here from day one. It's just the damn programming that took us away from not having this as an everyday life experience, that it is heaven on earth every day. Well, I feel very inspired by what you've had to say And I also can really feel the excitement and enthusiasm that you have for the work that you do and sharing it with others, and it's been a real delight. Thank you so much for that opportunity to give a little bit of that message. You've been listening to In Conversation, a podcast of Banyan Books and Sound, Canada's spiritual and healing resource since 1970.